welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 24. This is the second part of our end of the year show. We're going to, previously we did 20 to 11 of our top 20 countdown. We're going to do the top 10 now. Um, things got incredibly kind of brutal and upsetting. And, <laughs> and horrible and nasty. We sort of covered the three most upsetting bands of the year. So we'll be starting this one off on a bit of a lighter note. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's still going to be a lot of death mess in this countdown. But yeah, also I would highly advise go listen to the other episode first. Format's going to be pretty much the same for this. We're going to yeah. do little two-minute clips of every band because, well, this next band will show us so exactly why we went for that model because we'd be here all day. This in, is yet- In fact, yeah, the, the next two bands are going to demonstrate that <laughs> quite clearly. So this is yet another band from Denver, third on this <laughs> list, formed in 2012, and this is their third album. This is Dreadnought, um, and the album is Awake in Sacred Waves on Sailor Records. Dreadnought are a really interesting band. I'd say, um, sound-wise, they fit somewhere between bands like Sub Rosa and then maybe um, the John Cobbett Project's Ludicra. Mm, so mm. They, they're they an ultra-progressive band. Like This album's four tracks and none of them are under ten minutes. And just to give you a vague idea of what the sound's like, I'm just going to read out what everyone play, plays on this. So Kelly Schilling, who's like the kind of front person of the band. She's guitar, clean and harsh vocals, and flute. Uh, drummer Jordan Clancy also plays saxophone. Um, Kevin Handelon, uh, the bass player, also plays mandolin, and he's the main lyric writer. And then you've got uh, Lauren Vivera as keys and clean vocals as well. It's amazing to watch uh, the drummer switch to saxophone while still keeping the bass drum going during some and of the sessions. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And watching uh, from woman switch from guitar and then pick up the flute as well really fluid and seamless and yeah, mm. really interesting unit of different sounds yeah so this is a um so kind of feel wise this is your classic kind of middle period opeth type idea of that kind of marrying of extreme metal with more prog rock and other lighter kind of folk mm. elements um there's great sprawling songs which go for a lot of atmospheric changes and and by virtue of having two vocalists, one of which does two completely different things, mm. and then having a myriad of different instruments to take the lead position, you have a very complex like palette like going on here. Yeah, there's there's so many different textures that each one of the sort of vocalists and different instruments that they bring in can give, and it gives it that freshness and that self-identity. Because there are sort of echoes of Opeth and bands, even like Ahab, I think, particularly as this is a water-themed Very water-themed. You can really hear those sort of things that a lot of those bands who do about things like the deep sea, that thing they get in which makes you think of the ocean and of water. But all of these different influences and the way that they contribute to the songwriting really makes it sound very individual. And there's not really anything that sounds like Dreadnought no, um, no. that I can think of. As I say, those two bands I was sort of referencing both do things very differently to this. There's just moments in both that sound similar. Like, mm. the clean vocals have a bit of a Sub Rosa thing going on, but not quite yeah. as melancholy as Sub Rosa. And then the more black metal-y, screen vocal-led sections really have a ludicrous vibe. Like, yeah. Ludicrous band I highly recommend checking out, like Ace of Decker drumming, mm. uh, as well as John Cobbett playing his R's. Uh, match made in heaven and weirdly Ross Sewage from Impale is on base that's not <laughs> but yeah anyway they're yeah. for another podcast but th- like that was the closest I could get this kind of 
like what was dubbed like grey metal where it's like oh, yeah, sort yeah. of black metal but it, rather than like being bleak or oppressive it's just melancholic mm. and mm. this is a very melancholic sounding album like not truly sad or depressing just yeah just slightly mm. yeah, just slightly out there with that I, I'm not quite sure how to describe it yeah so you'll have these sort of very sometimes you'll have quite understated black metal parts and then you'll have these more epic black metal influence parts sometimes like infused with these melodies over the top from all sorts of different instruments and different vocalists and then you'll have these sort of slightly strange jazzy black metal riffs almost mm. and these weird combinations which mesh together really seamlessly into these sort of hypnotic melodies which uh, develop over the course of entire songs, some of which, you know, nearly like 17 minutes long, but it never feels too long. It's always developing themes and something new throughout it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, n- never feels as if it's outstayed its welcome. feels as if every minute is worthwhile for the sort of final product. Yeah, and the, the thing this album doesn't have, you say you'd get more with, like, aforementioned Opeth, um, because all the musicians are playing a lot of different instruments... And, like, nothing's ever kind of quite held down. Like, the bass player goes off in his own direction a lot of the time. He's The bass playing is, while not massively technical, he's not really holding the rhythm as much mm. as he's almost taking a weird lead position. And equally, Kelly's guitar, you would expect to be used as a very rhythmic thing, but she does a lot of kind of lead melodies and just choosing of odd chords and odd timings. So the album, like... It's quite a hard one to resolve what is going on there because yeah, yeah. there's just a lot of complexities and it never sounds all that brutal or heavy because no, of it. No. Because even if they say the drummer is like approaching more of a blast beat, there'll be something weird happening around yeah, it. There'll be like, something sort of uh, melodic or slightly jazzy, slightly syncopated going on. Uh, and yeah, there's so much to unpack with this. Just repeat listenings. It's such this sort of, um, sort of mosaic of different things that are going on at the same time and then switching out for something else and being replaced and slowly moving itself through themes as it goes so many different things to listen to as you go through it so really worth repeat listens and i think i'll be listening to this one for a long time before i fully unpick what i truly think of it yeah the the problem is like this is like you know your classic 60 minute long massively complex prog album it's Mm. not something you're going to take in perfectly on first listen Mm. and I, I, I think that's kind of great in a way because these albums are often the most rewarding yeah, if you can yeah. get your head around them. Like, the only real criticism I have of this album is that when it goes to these more black metal moments, and I don't know how much this is by design and how much it's just, um, like, the way it's recorded, is the guitar often sounds a bit weedy in the heavier moments. Yeah. Because, and because there's just one guitar and because the bass isn't just holding down the low end, he's often, mm. like... Like in videos, you see he mainly uses much higher strings. It never sounds heavy. This album never is particularly in your face that way. Yeah, I think that's something I definitely noticed about listening through. There's never a super heavy moment, or really particularly heavy moments in it at all. Um, Yeah, I found that a little odd at first. I'm kind of really coming round to it now. Mm. Um, And I think it really works for their type of sound. But yeah, I can definitely understand why might be a little weird when you have these bits which should be this pounding black metal and it's sort of, uh, yeah, the guitar's not as big as it should be in that moment yeah yeah um but they're an incredible act they're truly unique as well like i've not i've not heard this kind of marrying of all these instruments Mm. under a package that is like i've heard it done in progressive music but never actually no never sax and flute in the same band yeah yeah. and having lots of passages where 
you'll get both. Like you yeah, say, yeah. the drummer will keep tempo with his feet, like playing the hi hat and the bass drum, but then add a sax layer at the same time as you have the flute coming in as well, playing sort of melodies which like move off each other. It's really, really interesting. It just gives it that something else, that different texture, which really elevates it up. And by virtue of everyone sort of having two specialties, it means that whenever an instrument is dropping out, someone can take the lead. So when mm. Kelly's playing mm. flute, the keyboard player can come in and add clean vocals if need be, or yeah. and obviously keyboard and uh, vocals is quite mm. a traditional one to do together so there's there's a lot of elements going on it, it, it makes this massively complex and interesting sound live is kind of funny because they look <laughs> awkward as fuck trying to balance all the different bits of kit such a hideously complicated thing to do to have all you know to have to switch between your instruments do different vocals you know as a drummer you've got to pick up a saxophone start playing and then put it down again I think it's yeah. worth it's Kelly like looking for the flute on the floor somewhere <laughs> yeah. in most of the videos I've seen like yeah. but then it's incredible because when I first heard this I was like it really was a concern like does this work live? Do they have to use a backing track? Mm. Because it's such a natural um, feeling album. It feels very live and it feels very real. Mm. You're like, this with a backing track would be terrible. But yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, they found a way to do it. it. Uh, the other thing I'd like to talk about is that there's a sort of story for this record. So each one of theirs is based off an element. So this is their uh, water one, as you may have guessed from the title. And they said it's... They described it as like the Zelda Water Temple, which I think is a bit harsh because they're often the worst levels, but sort yeah. <laughs> of darker and heavier and moodier than the previous albums mm. they've done. Uh, and the story of this, it's about a species which is chased into an ocean trench, and this is in Vacant Sea, the first track. It then, in this new ecosystem, evolves into the alpha, the sort of top predator around here. And that's a slight misunderstanding of evolution, but it's fine, it's art, whatever. Anyway, this, this, this is changing water, so this is the bit where the species becomes sort of dominant in this place. Um, and the final two songs are the sort of self-discovery of the predator about itself, and then the rest of the other species and its prey actually take down the predator. And this is this sort of uh, mirrors like the existential struggle of humanity, uh, which sounds very grandiose. But I really like that sort of idea of the story. And you can, once you've read that, you can feel it going through these mm, different mm. sort of melodies and different things within it. Um, and those feelings are really put across in those songs. And I really like that way of taking it, particularly with these giant songs, taking these really large sort of categories of things that are happening and different feelings. Yeah, I think it really adds to the album, like having read that and knowing that once I listen to it again. Yeah, yeah, completely. Like, uh, again, it's just an album that really has a lot to find in it. it, mm. it they're a very interesting band. They're very unique. Um, it's it's a shame, so to say, certain elements of the production let down bits of it, but like overall, this is this is brilliant, and it, yeah. it won't quite make sense in first listening because it has a sub rosa thing of the vocal delivery, especially like the clean vocals. It's not a style I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. like it, it's um, yeah. I don't know how to sort of like this is it's exactly the same feeling I got from sub rosa. It's like oh, these are almost slightly off key on purpose. Yeah, like, yeah kind of traditional almost rocky vocals they're not massively high or anything for female singers but mm. and none of the performances like none of the performances of the whole band are particularly virtuoso there's not a lot of time spent on it's very not showy for such a yeah, prog album yeah. but all the performances are very good like, there's so much work put into making sure that they mesh well together and that the songwriting uses all of these things at the right moment at the right time to their sort of best degree Oh yeah, yeah, and and it, again, it's like as I say, like the repeat listens are so good because every time you go through, you, you know when you're listening to a song, you're focused on a certain instrument in it. 
you can do it like listen to the bass the whole way through once. And he's like, oh yeah, that was actually really interesting. Yeah, he's a bit yeah. like he's not right up the front of the mix, but he's doing something complex and weird the mm, whole way. And mm. yeah, the drummer does quite a, like quite complex drumming in a lot of sections and a lot of changes of pace. Weirdly, it doesn't for all the changes of pace and movements between like gentle sections into more heavier. It's not actually a massive dynamic range because of the way it's recorded. Mm, mm. Like, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, sometimes telling the differences sometimes fade into an almost sort of like dreamlike thing where it all sort of sounds roughly the same despite the ranges within it. Um, yeah, again, like a very minor criticism because there's so much stuff going on there that's like worth paying attention to. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this one... And in some cases, it almost works to sort of continue the theme through the different sections, I think. Um, particularly sometimes with these black metal sections, which merge almost seamlessly into the melodic sections. And you yeah, think, yeah. Well, how, how did that get in here? Where did that come from? Because uh, I've said this before, but this band nailed the thing I truly love in this kind of music of being able to move from heavy to light smoothly. I, mm, I love, mm. I love that kind of that whatever that sound is and getting that right seems to be massively difficult yeah yeah and yeah a band I really want to see what they do in the future yeah they seem to be getting a bit more attention for very good reason like I think they could do truly incredible things Mm, yeah definitely Um, can you remember what what other elements have they done so far with their albums I think it's earth and air I could be wrong though okay so so if we have fire left to go that's that's going to be an interesting one yeah yeah, that'll be really cool like I'd like I'd like to try a heavier direction actually because I think from what I can tell, this is the least like mellow so far. Mm, but mm. I, I I discovered them off this album. And I've not had time to yeah, delve into so, their back catalogue. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to go back and look at the other stuff they've done because this is an amazing effort for this year. Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. So um, it's 17 minutes long, so you won't be getting anywhere near the full <laughs> thing. We'll find a small clip of vacancy, hopefully give you a bit of a feel of mm. um, of this album.
album number nine, uh, which is Bell Witch with Mirror Reaper. Now, Bell Witch are a really interesting funeral doom band um, who have formed in uh, formed in 2010, and they currently have three albums. Um, I got into them around the time of Four Fan- Phantoms, which was their second album. This is their third with Mirror Reaper, and it's an amazing sort of step up in terms of concept. Uh, they've gone from Four Phantoms, which had four songs about sort of four elements, to this, which is an 83-minute long song, technically split up into As Above, So Below, which are the sort of two sides or discs of the album. Uh, but in reality, it's really one enormous song. Now, Bellwitch do this amazing thing of they're just a bass and a drummer. Um, they've got Dylan Desmond on bass, who does these really sort of mournful, clean, almost sort of Gregorian chanting style vocals, and is one of the finest bass players in metal today. I think. Oh, he's the, incredible. The things he does, which I have never heard a bass do, are monumental, from the tin- tiniest, sort of softest, melodic, mournful parts that he can play, to the really heavy bits, which make guitars seem completely redundant. And then on this, we have uh, Jesse Shriedman on drums and playing organ as well and harsh vocals. Mm. Um, And this album's a really interesting one because just after Four Phantoms, the uh, ex-drummer, Adrian Guerrera, uh, passed away in 2016. And this album really sort of serves as a tribute to him. It's got a section of vocals from the Four Phantoms recordings, which weren't ever featured, uh, which is referred to as the words of the dead on this album. Mm. Uh, So, you know, he is still contributing to this band which must be like a hugely emotional thing for all of the you know the current members and for the people who know the band as well and that 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 section with those unused vocal parts where the riff's been completely replaced from four phantoms uh, because dylan said it didn't really work for what they were doing uh really ties this album together as this amazing tribute to the history of bellwitch but also to the future Mm. It's incredibly mournful and sad in a way that I can think of very few other albums that get to. But there are shades of hope in this as well. Mm. And I think, yeah, it just makes it this incredible release start to finish. Yeah, it, it's such a complete package. So the interesting thing with it is, is it's the only double album we're covering. And as very often is the case, Funeral Doom about the only genre I can see a real use for a double album in. So the first disc, um, as above is almost a 50-minute song, and it's mostly led by drummer Jesse's vocals. It's almost... It's mm. it's the heavy disc. It's, um, yeah. it's like, so very, very slow, but it's more brutal. It's more... Uh, the, the vocals are all harsh vocals. Then the second disc, So Below, is almost a solo piece by Dylan, mm. where it's mostly very gentle melodic bass playing but just very clever things like using a lot of tapping patterns yeah, and like picking yeah. while tapping on very and he uses six string bass I think and while tapping on very high strings he will pick the odd note on lower strings to make the sound of two or more guitars Yeah, and yeah. while while doing this does his really really gentle mournful vocals his vocals like almost you know they have that feeling of they could just get almost get blown away they're not they're not really forceful they're not in your face yeah. they are so mellow and restrained over this but it makes for an atmosphere that is really mm. just mournful just sorrowful really really sad sounding like yeah there's something very ethereal about the whole thing which yeah feels like it could just disappear and particularly the really sort of soft moments i think this is the thing that this album has done better than all of bellwitch before is the soft moments are shining to the best degree. Yes, uh, yes. Dylan's vocals are the best they've ever been, and he has a little bit more variation, tries mm. out some different things. 
and there's these tiny little things you can hear on it, like slight movements as his fingers move up the bass strings, which sounds so sort of real and organic and plays into the emotional themes of this album, which are some of the biggest on this list by far, I think, because of, you know, the things that have happened with Bell Witch. And yeah, it just has this sincerity and this integrity to it and this true sadness, which very few releases I've ever heard have even got close to. Yeah, it, 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 it takes a long time to digest. This is over 80 minutes long and really should... Like, so we're going to play a clip from it later. This is the thing that initially gave <laughs> us pause because like, how on earth do we cover... They even like, we're end an episode with a thirty-five minute long track. But yeah. so we'll play a little clip. But the, really, the only way to digest this is to listen to both halves back to back. I would argue because everything seems to review this as if it's one song. It really is two pieces. The two pieces don't even that closely relate, other than thematically. Yeah. But they are perfect. They are a perfect two-track album. Like it is absolutely incredible and like the first half mirror reaper has such intensity and power for Mm. a two-piece it's like i cannot tell how they get so much heft and weight out of bass guitar yeah because i mean we were lucky enough to see them uh, a few years ago um in bristol Mm. and they're amazing live they carry this huge force and there's an awful lot of two-piece bands are becoming more of a thing uh, these days it seems and i think that's really cool when you can get it to work but none of them to me have matched the power that bellwitch get out which most bands with four or five members cannot manage yeah you know there's only a few funeral doom bands like bands like ahab which can get the same sort of power out of this mm. um, but then bellwitch have carved their own identity as you know just far more mournful i think than most funeral doom bands i can't think of much that sounds like them so mm. jesse is a drummer and vocalist is very impressive he's a very good drummer and his his screams are perfect for this because again mm. they similar to spectral voice uh, we covered a bit back they have that thing where they can slightly get lost lower in the mix exactly what you want from bellrich yeah which yeah. is about the kind of sound of the riff but what uh dylan is doing with the bass is is just beyond me. I can't work out yeah. his grasp of effects and just playing like in odd styles, like using his hands in ways that just wouldn't be mm. the norm, like to make a massive sound. And it never feels lacking. The album's extremely minimalist. Like yeah, yeah. There, there is like huge passages of the album where a note will just be held for five seconds. Mm. Doesn't sound that mm. all that much, but if you actually look at that compared to any other album you're used to that is a huge it's amount a of time, time to sit on a note yeah and um, again amazing musicianship in a very different way to a lot of the other albums we've talked about because playing this slow is extremely hard <laughs> yes if you ever get out if you ever go get together with another musician and try to play something which is at this sort of tempo you will find you will make mistakes so often because even being out by half a second will sound horrendous and then you have to hold that for five seconds before you can hit something again yeah the art of playing slow you know funeral doom has really expanded that in a really interesting way and bell which is a great example of slow drumming really hard slow bass playing as well with all these different techniques combined with the vocals they're doing really difficult because you have to be so precise and they're so on point with all of this and every note lands perfectly yes exactly what you want it, it, it is a truly masterful album. It The thing is, it's not for every occasion. This is something you can't mm. listen to that regularly because you really do need to listen to the whole thing straight through. Yeah, yeah. But there, there's a time and a place for this and this is one of the best examples of this I've, I've ever heard. Mm. Just in terms of like 
being so restrained in the songwriting, so careful of the choice of notes, uh, mm. choice of tone, but also getting that really real sounding performance. This, like, especially so below, really does just sound like someone's caught um, Dylan doing it live. Yeah, I imagine yeah, he recorded definitely. bass and vocals separately, but mm. I wouldn't. Yeah, uh, and and it feels real as well. Like it's not perfect. It's like it's not absolutely perfect. Exactly. It's like yeah. some notes he hits slightly too hard or plays mm. slightly too mm. light, but it just lends it a realism. I don't yeah. know why that works. Thing but... we were talking about with Colin Marston on the Tech Dev episode about allowing small mistakes to re- to remain is so important to making a band sound not like a weird machine, but sounding like a real emotional entity, which is exactly what you want with this. It's super emotionally charged music. Yeah, yeah, it, it is really. Quite incredible. Uh, I guess the other things to talk about uh, the idea of Mirror Reaper. So it's sort of with hours above and so below. They're sort of reflections. So you have this much more heavy, more punishing part, and then you have this more solo piece with a much, much softer bass playing. Um, and this is, you know, sort of the idea of life and death and the dichotomy between them. The idea of ghosts, and this is made all the more real by the words of the dead section with um, mm. Adrian on it. You know, it's such like thematically works so well. And then also has some of the finest metal cover art I have ever seen. It is a wonderful piece uh, done by Maurice Lewandowski. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Fantastic piece of art. Yeah, it's just just Google the image. This is one of the best metal covers I've ever seen. Mm. And actually, mm. um, I believe. Oh no, 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 it wasn't him. No, I, I've not. No, I, I'm confusing him with another really good artist coming up. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it is just an absolutely incredible piece. I, like, I won't describe it. You've just got to see it. Yeah. But. And again, ties it together thematically amazingly, particularly with the album because you've got as above and so below, and you've got the two sides of the cover which match those. And yeah, so so beautifully done. Yeah, I, and um, like there's. Not much we can say to explain this. This is an album that will only make sense if you sit down and give it time. But, I, I mean, this almost feels pointless, but we're going to throw in a little bit of So Below to give you a feel of... A quick thing to say, actually, is that we do actually have four vocalists on this album. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so we've got Dylan um, and Jesse doing theirs. We've got Adrian, of course, uh, contributing. And then Eric Mogridge, who is um, an honorary member of Bellwitch, also does some vocals. Oh, cool. Um, I... I'm not exactly sure which part it is, but it's weird that they have twice as many vocalists on this album as the band has members yes, which is yeah. kind of fun <laughs> or just even musicians yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting but yeah so this is a, a little clip of So Below
So in absolute contrast to that, we are going to cover a really silly album that I... Well, a band I've got into who... This is a really bizarre one. Uh, I think second Metal Blade uh, release in this, uh, this countdown. Formed in 2003. I think it's like their third official album. Although, yeah. scanning their releases, they got a lot of stuff in between. Um, this is the French band Igor. Um, like, mainly the, the project of... Igor himself, uh, Gautier something or other, I forget. Gautier Seno. Yeah, yeah. Who's like, sort of initially a black metal and death metal musician who Mm. then turned like DJ and got really into electronic music and then has produced Igor, which is him throwing all that together. So this is him, like he says he wanted Igor to be a combination of breakcore, black metal, and baroque classical music. Yeah, baroque, death metal, trip-hop, and concrete music. <laughs> but this, I think this had possibly my favourite title. Uh, it's Savage Sinusoid, and I really like it. There's something about that alliteration that mm. is just really good fun. And this goes all the way from sort of like super heavy death metal riffs to full-on black metal, to accordions and blast beats, to this baroque-style opera, to 8-bit metal, and pretty much everything else you could imagine in between those. And all in the same three-minute song. (laughs) Exactly. Like, this is truly schizophrenic music. Like, I think conceptually what Igor are trying to do is to marry together as many elements as possible all at once. This mm, is mm. this is an album, like, well and truly the band is experimenting for experimentation's sake. But the point is, they still hit catchy melodies. Still get it working really well. Once you can get your head around what they're doing, <laughs> it's really catchy and enjoyable. So the, the big difference between this and, say, uh, previous album Hallelujah, which was the one I got into them with, mm. is Igor's properly cemented a band here. So he does all the guitar programming and songwriting. But then we have two vocalists, um, a female singer who does like very like standard opera vocals, mm, then mm. a male vocalist who does like bizarre scream vocals. And then kind of like, <laughs> if you know the second Diablo Swing Orchestra album, mm, kind of mm. clean vocals like the sort of the lower voice guy from that band. Well, I was going to say, we should have introed this section with just incomprehensible screaming because that's how the album opens yeah, yeah. we're just screaming and it, it's it's really funny when you're you know you're listening to this and someone else happens to be in the room as you start it off and you're like oh, I forgot that it starts like this yeah um, it, it is just a vocalist uh, I think it's Laurent uh, Lunier just just screaming no accompaniment <laughs> he just screams for about 10 seconds and then it brings you into this like really quite heavy riff um, yeah. So, so <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, so the album has a core of like guitar, bass, and drums, normally playing really fast. But the thing Igor always does to this sound is add the break core element. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is in the mix of the album, he will like 
fuck up what's going on, like cut up clips of the guitar and make them slightly out of sync and do like weird electronic wobbles, mm. essentially. Some of the really interesting stuff. So I had to look up concrete music, which is one of the things that it's based on, um, which is you take recorded sounds and use them as raw material rather than just recording something different. Once you've recorded it, you then chop it up and change it and do different things to it. I also found out that's they actually made the Doctor Who theme that way. That's how it was originally sort of made. And now it's making Igor, which, I don't know, an, an awesome set of things. But it, it, it lends it this weird intensity that you don't normally get with this kind of metal. Mm. And I really like it here as an influence. It just gives it this really different edge. And yeah, yeah, yeah. just a different type of heaviness in a way. Yeah, it, it, this is like... Despite how it's a very clean, bright production, he really mm. wants you to hear everything that's going on. But the constant changes, and these are changes every like five, ten seconds. You mm. you will move from um, complete unhinged screaming into beautiful, uh, clean operatic vocals over classical guitar or sitar or something, and then mm. back into blasting insanity. Like this album moves from point to point so much, and like the big thing about it was he got a huge amount of guest musicians in, like harpsichord player, saxophone player, uh, a guy called Nils playing amazing, like, flamenco-style classical guitar that keeps sifting underneath his kind of more heavy, like, fast-pick black metal and death metal guitaring. Yeah, and and the special treat for us metalheads is um, Tillock from Mayhem was playing on a Viande. He played bass and guitar on that, which is the track where you can really hear this, like, straight-up black metal moment broken up by this Baroque opera which is amazing. <laughs> Such oh, a yeah, strange yeah. concept. And uh, guest vocals from Travis Ryan of the Castle Decapitation. Yeah, he's fantastic on this album. It's on Cheval, Robert, and Apop... I can't pronounce it. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 just look up the title. I'm not even going <laughs> to attempt that. Yeah. But yeah, like that one particularly, he just does this weird guttural noise throughout mm. it, which is quite a good counterpoint to Lawrence vocals, which are far more like a high-pitched kind of yeah. squeal. <laughs> yeah, unhinged screams, yeah. Yeah, and like they just have an amazing image as well. There's two music videos to this album for the tracks Opus Brain and mm. IEUD. Um, and it, it's like, so it's just a meshing of like, like beautiful classical style with like caveman nonsense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the, like Laurent comes out with like just painted white and blue with like mm. no shirt on his weird dreads all over the place. But Laura, the, female vocalist is like beautifully dressed in yeah, all of it yeah. and then, then Igor looks like a homeless dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a really fun contrast which sort of shows the contrast that you're getting musically as well and the amazing thing is they managed to make it work I found it really interesting hearing how all these different styles would come in and you get to the bit where you know, it sort of all goes 8-bit and you think ah yeah of course uh, yes. natural progression of what's going on here so this is the third track hummus is the best of this <laughs> where it is just like a relatively similar melody throughout the whole song but just keeps switching between instruments with uh Sylvian's drumming underneath like just keeping everything together I love the start of this song because it starts with just this sort of accordion thing going on and then a blast beat comes in and you think oh right okay accordion and blast beat it works yeah it's really good (laughs) and yeah it moves through like like, as I say like a harpsichord saxophone Mm. that aforementioned 8-bit bit the classical guitar a sitar they're all on this song in like under three minutes it's it's lurched between all of them it's amazing how he manages to get it all to come together in a way which doesn't just 
make you want to stop listening. Um, yeah. It just makes you want to hear more of this weird style. All these different techniques being utilised by someone who clearly has an incredibly good understanding of what they're doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, the, the thing with this is every musician involved is incredible. Mm. They, and they're all playing it. He throws some riffs at the absolute <laughs> limit of their abilities. Mm. Like, there's a great uh, half-hour making of where you can see, like, the harpsichord player, like, losing <laughs> her mind with how fast one of the bits is. There's a really funny moment as well where Nils, the classical guitarist, just to mess with him, he doubles the speed of one of the bits and tries oh, to get him to play it. no. Without telling him. <laughs> he's just sat there like, this is impossible. Like, <laughs> Yeah, um, it does seem to be this just sort of thing where Igor has this way of looking at music that almost no one in the world has and this way of taking different things and putting them together that no one else can do, let, let alone sort of envision it in the first place. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy is truly a genius. Now, mm. you might mm. find his stuff obnoxious or whatever, but personally, this just clicked for me. Like, yeah. As soon yeah. as I heard the previous album, Hallelujah, I was like, oh, this is genius. And like that album was mainly done with programmed drums, I believe, so... The addition of a real drummer throughout this gave it a pace and intensity, yeah, and just yeah. more of a live sound. Like they've actually, like as a live unit, they are a four-piece with drums. Igor just basically commanding all the music, <laughs> and then the two vocalists. Mm. And he, I think Igor's mainly doing it off like backing tracks, but mm, mm. he has his DJ set up, and that seems. The live videos I've seen, it looks incredible. Yeah, still be something I'd love to see because I can barely imagine how you'd get this stuff all sorted out. Uh, and yeah, just the album as a whole, just it flows. It's really decent. It, yeah. As much as it's all experimental madness, it's actually really fun. It, it, it seems that pretty much all the experiments have worked. And yeah, as you say, it's just entertaining. It's not, you know, the thing we were talking about in the last episode with all these upsetting bands, which is also great. This is just a, it's a good time. You'll enjoy yourself listening to this. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, yeah, I don't really want to go into too much detail on everything because it's like, to an extent, I want to leave some of the surprises for people to listen to. Yeah, because yeah I think so. The, the only real criticism of this is I do feel that I'm slightly front-loaded with the really good stuff. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. There's so many good things right at the beginning. Um, yeah, with the edit and IUD and um, Hummus as well. Like you get all these cr- oh, spraying, you get all this crazy stuff going along. Yeah. Um, and then, like say, towards the end, you've got Ovoir, which is a bit more of a, a standard piano-led track with, mm. with just clean vocals. Very pretty piece of music, but just less surprising. I mean, yeah. still a little bit of the break chord slips in there. <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> yeah, if you listen to it by itself, you think, ah, oh, this is a weird-ass song. But Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a really intense album, but just really, really good fun. Yeah. Like, um, we could have gone for a myriad of things, but I think uh, from this one, we're going to play a little clip of IEUD. Go! 
this brings us to number seven on our list, and this is uh, Neobli Viscaris with their recent album, Urn. So Neobli Viscaris are a really interesting band. Uh, they formed back in 2003, uh, and they've put out it's their third album. So they had um, The Portal of Eye, Citadels, and now this, which is Urn. Now this is, I mean, it's relatively short compared to the other albums. So so the interesting thing, uh, Neobli Viscaris, their first album was this proper prog monster, mm-hmm. and because it came out, I think, like, 2011 something like that mm, so they've been mm. going for years and clearly built up a lot of material it's like a 70 almost 80 minute long album a huge piece the following two uh, This and Earn are both about 45 minutes long and when we get into the sound that'll be kind of quite an odd thing with this but possibly why they're so brilliant yeah I think uh, yeah listening to this one it fits so nicely into the runtime that it's got and and the thing we have now with Scarus is they have this amazing uh they have this really sort of interesting, fluid, technical death metal style thing with mm. a bunch of melodic elements. And then over the top, they have these amazing vocals from Tim Charles, uh, who yeah, does they're... these really nice, sort of soaring, high, clean vocals, who also plays violin for the band, which is one of their big selling points. They have these amazing violin melodies over the top. And then uh, Zenier, who does these sort of high shrieks and these really guttural growls. So it fits it off with these two different styles of vocals and then the violin. So there's so much going on at the sort of the front level with all of these sort of higher up melodies with the vocals and the violin. Uh, it's uh, but it's such an interesting contrast of all these different styles. Yeah. So the the sound is like a very modern black and death metal. Uh, like we're in the heavier moments, a very modern black and death metal. So if you haven't come across them with extremely competent screen vocals with a lot mm, of range to them. Mm. Like as Rob was saying, you can kind of. The vocalist then all just remove, moves completely between the high and low with like no real issue. Great voice as well. Yeah, yeah. But then it's all mixed with incredible like neoclassical like melodic passages, and then Tim Charles either playing violin or singing depending on what fits the section. And essentially, like uh, into the Combine podcast covered this with them. It's like the thing near Blood Scar is more than anything. It's just. Everything they do sounds beautiful. It all mm, sounds mm. just really pretty. The heaviest and most aggressive of parts somehow sound really lovely. Yeah. Uh, and there's something great about that. And, and then the new, the sort of formula they've gone through for the last two albums, because I say this album is very reminiscent of the previous, whereas Citadels, because I got into them back when their first album, Portal Eye, came out, mm, and Citadels mm. felt like a massive sort of departure where they'd reduce down the amount of solos and stretch out the song lengths but reduce the number of songs. So the songs had more movements to them, more complexities, but less self-indulgence. Just the first album isn't too self-indulgence. It's probably a little bit too much lead guitar. Yeah. And this album continues exactly where that last one left off, but with a few brilliant little improvements. Like Tim Charles' vocals, I would always say were one of the weaker elements of the band in the early years, because these guys are so technically gifted. Mm. They are all masters of their field. Yeah, they are some of the the most impressive musicians you've ever seen. We've caught them a few times, and sometimes you'll just notice them, if there's a bit in the song where they're not involved, just practicing a scale uh, at a speed which beggars belief. (laughs) I think that that was Benjamin Barrett of Bloodstock I spotted. (laughs) He was definitely training up for the next bit of the song while he wasn't playing. Yeah, it's it's ludicrous. And, you know, so many of the riffs and the structures within the songs are just like mind blowing for this supreme musicianship that they bring to the table. Yeah, so like the sort of the really interesting elements they've got, like the bass work, um, in a similar kind of vein to Dreadnought we were talking about earlier, the bass never sits still in this. Like it's one of the most complex instruments on all their albums. Like 
completely mm. leading the melodies um, a lot of the time, often informing the melody. Like this, this happened a lot more on Citadel actually, where the bass would play what was going to be the melody of the mm. next riff mm. as a lead over the previous yeah. riff, which yeah. is just a really fun concept. You don't really get in metal all that. And often. you still have this really audible bass sound on this, which is really nice on these sort of albums where you've got this really sort of upfront musicianship to get the bass up there as well and showing you that bass can lead things and can do these like rhythms and melodies which are a little bit different from what's going on which helps flesh out the song in all sorts of directions I've got Robin's Islehorst playing our bass on this album. I was all ex-cynic, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Yep. You yeah. know, you've got that sort of amazing bass style, which you'd see in Cynic as well, where the bass will lead things and add this huge texture to the song rather than just holding it down, uh, which it's perfectly capable of doing as well with Nabla Viscaris because they seem to be able to play anything. So that was the worry I had for this album. With um, Previously, um, we the, the lineup of Nabla Viscaris has been pretty much stable since the first album. But just before Zam came out, um, Cygnus left the band, their bass player, and he would have been, in my mind, was just such a hard person to replace. But mm. the guy they got on has done sterling work. Like, he's really, oh, yeah. really stepped great. up to this. Like, he's not quite as good. The bass doesn't sound quite as in the mix as it did in Citadel. It doesn't mm. quite have the power. And it also lacks the cool bridging thing uh, Cygnus did on a few of, like, these these amazingly long tapping sections like yeah. both Citadels and Portal of Lie had a really cool one of those, which slightly lacking. I just, well, I just really like those bits. Yeah. Like, I want them again. But yeah, uh, but I think we should never lose sight of the fact that even with like being slightly reduced, Neville Viscaris's bass, uh, the way they use bass as an instrument and the bass tone and how it's produced is still exceptional compared mm. to the vast majority of bands of any genre. Yes, completely. I, I'd love to see more of this, but again, it's that thing of. This is really complex. It's really complex mm. to write. It's really, yeah, really yeah. difficult to play and really difficult to play and make still seem clear. There's kind yeah. of yeah. like some of the speed of these transitions, like some of these bridging melodies the bass does, is incredibly complex. So yeah, so I think the thing we talked about is like because now metal is this huge thing, we have it where these bands are just some of the best musicians in the world are taking on heavy metal mm. and they're doing so many interesting things with it that, you know, when these things first started out with some kids, you know, playing around with heavy music, just couldn't do. And now we're seeing this sort of stuff which was impossible up until this point. Um, drums as well. Um, I've heard Neville Viscaris criticising their drums a little bit that they're a little bit stale, but at least on this album, I really disagree. Yeah, um, yeah. They're relatively understated, but there are so many, uh, particularly on um, Libra... Uh, Saturnine Spheres, the part one of the first track, there's these really nice sort of targeted double bass grooves where they just like come in at exactly the right time. Um, and it's nothing new or amazing, but it's just done so well for the song and it augments it so nicely. It's a great show of drumming. Honestly, I think Daniel Preslin's performance this album was another thing I was going to mention, along with Tim Charles's vocals have got massively better. Yeah. Daniel yeah. Preslin's, not only is his playing improved, like he was very good on previous albums. His drum sounds so much better on this. Yeah, because like, really my biggest nice. criticism with Citadels is it doesn't have a great drum sound. It's a bit too clicky, mm. and this sounds a bit more real, a bit more powerful. And it, like the guy's a fucking brilliant drummer. Is yeah, to hold this sort of stuff together and all the like rhythms and stuff that he's doing is crazy. I feel him and Matt Calvin's a rhythm guitarist. are kind of like because they have to be <laughs> the anchor for the myriad of leads. Yeah, they yeah. don't get to show off quite as much of the rest of the band. Yeah, yeah. I think I do think that is the thing in their blue scars though. Those like you have the three leads, you have the two types of vocals and the violin going on. Is 
there's always something amazing to pay attention to, which is doing something either with your clean vocals or with your sort of harsh vocals, something that we know about, but done in a brilliant way, particularly, again, yeah, Tim Charles' vocal performance on this album, amazing. Stretched to the furthest point I think he's ever gone, higher than he's gone. Some of the best melodies he's ever written, amazingly expressive. And then you have the violin as well. Yeah, yeah. You'd think two vocalists would be enough, but you've got the violin on top of that, so there's always something awesome to listen to. And uh, this album, Benjamin Barrett's come a bit back with the lead guitar as well. Like Citadels was quite um, devoid of guitar solos, but they managed to work the guitar solos and the violin solos over each other in this perfectly. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of trade-offs between them. And I, I remember hearing an interview with Tim Charles saying like his violin playing is less inspired by the sort of like neoclassical stuff and more like actually one of his biggest inspirations is the guitarist Jeff Loomis. Yeah. Essentially, he wants to do what these kind of immensely technical metal players do on guitar, but with violin. That's and you really can kind of see cool. that coming yeah, in. Yeah. And, you know, just bringing these new instruments into metal, which unfortunately haven't had the showing in metal that they have in other genres, finding out how they work, then being able to do these dueling things, uh, taking inspiration from metal guitar work is, yeah, it's just amazing. And the bands that are doing this, yeah, really at the forefront of incorporating new sounds and ideas into metal. And doing, as I stated before, with Dreadnought, like one of my favourite things in metal of, brilliant transitions yeah, from light to heavy yeah, back to yeah. light like this album like so I've mainly been listening to this album and be free player at work so I can't really see what the tracks are mm. I can't tell what tracks what like, it's often it really hard it flows yeah. so perfectly at 45 minutes and it just sounds like one great piece like yeah, there's yeah. no reason to skip there's no reason there's no bit you wouldn't have in this uh, there's also a really cool bit in the first bit of Libra where they've got these sort of backing vocals which carry a oh, melody yeah. for one point as an amazing section just adds this little extra level of atmosphere as if Nebula Viscarish didn't have enough things going on within their songs they add this tiny extra element um, and then it carries over to the violin which takes that melody and then sort of deconstructs it a little bit and then pushes it into a sort of like slightly solo piece and it, yeah that's, that's one of the most beautiful moments of the album I think I love that and, and it builds back up to the what they like kind of get like kind of gang vocal but like singing in tune rather yeah, than just adding yeah. a sound rather than you sort of thrash just yelling like genuinely carrying this really nice melody through everything else the thing i think they got really right on this album as well so with the first two libra part one and two uh into intravenous uh part three uh track three are all quite melodic they've got they still got the heavy moments and so on but then we earn part one and two the final two tracks really bring back the heaviness which we probably heavier than anything they've done before. Like yeah, yeah. Some really quite aggressive moments, but still with the trademark near Bliviscarus beauty. It's just yeah, all... Yeah. I, I don't know quite how they do this, but they've made extreme influence music. Like, stuff that has a huge death metal influence. Like, Zenor is far and away the main vocalist of yeah, the band. Yeah. But this is accessible to anyone. Yeah. Really, like... Anyone who's slightly open-minded about music could really get into this. Yeah, yeah as, as long as you can deal with like sort of harsh vocals, this is a sort of thing you can get into because even the most the darkest of moments feel really beautiful on this album. Yeah, yeah, uh, like we could go on about Nebula of Scars for ages. <laughs> I imagine we'll cover one of their older albums at some point because of their yeah, band. Definitely. I'm amazed actually we've never brought up particularly yeah. on the podcast before. Yeah. But um, yeah, so because it's the one and it's possibly just because the album's pretty new release we're going to play a bit of the first track because that's something we're probably going to it's uh, Libra and Saturn's Spirits
Uh, this brings us on to number six on our list, which is uh, Veninum with Trance of Death. Now, Veninum are a really interesting death metal band who I've only become aware of this year through this album. Um, and I'd sort of describe them as this compelling, hypnotic death metal, mm. mainly led by extremely good guitar work, some amazing riffs, awesome sort of variations and stuff. And really the whole album's based, for me, around the song Trance of Death, which has three parts. It's enormous. One of the parts is 14 minutes long just by itself. Uh, and it incorporates all these weird influences. It's got these weird jazzy riffs with these proggy keyboards beneath them, these really interesting guitar solos, and these ever-evolving, really catchy death metal riffs which go all over the place. Uh, and yeah, it's just a joy to listen to this guitar work. It's so interesting. So for a bit of history, formed in 2008 uh, in Germany... They have one EP before this, but this is basically a debut album on their Sepultural uh, Voice Records. And their sound, not a million miles away from Execration, we covered way back at number 18. Mm. Um, so it's a Swedish death metal kind of influence, that kind of quite raw but not massively detuned death metal with a lot of focus on kind of slightly creepy off-kilter melodies. Mm. The vocals also have that similar thing of like, they're not particularly guttural or low. They're very clear, very understandable. Um, but the the thing that really sets us apart is that kind of weird prog rock influence. That, mm. The touch mm. of keyboards, the touch of just doing things a bit different. There's a nice amount of melody in this as well because, I mean, it doesn't really feel like melodic death metal to me because a lot of it's quite mm. in-your-face death metal. But there's a lot of melodies which get their way into this and some of them are a little weird and a little unnerving. There's these good melodic riffs and then there's these atmospheric guitar solos and like sort of melody passages which are put over the top, which are really interesting and constantly keep you sort of intrigued in what would otherwise be fairly straightforward, very good, but fairly straightforward death metal. It yeah. just has that variation that keeps you going. Completely. And I guess they sort of give a hint of this with like... So the, the album starts with a two-minute instrumental called Entrance, which is like a violin passage. And something I kind of I ranted about online a while ago of... Uh, an intro that's essentially an alright piece of music, but has no bearing on the rest of the album <laughs> at all. Like that, that notwithstanding, we get into the first track, uh, the nine-minute epic "Merging Nebula Drapes," mm. which is just a brilliantly constructed old-school death metal song with a touch of something new going on there. Like it has the guitar tone is that old-school death metal but the production is just a bit clearer and you can hear what's going on. You can hear mm. the bass playing. Mm. The bass playing actually has an amazing part in this, like which is rare for this kind of metal, actually. Yeah, yeah. So Execration, we talked about earlier, you can't really hear the bass all that much. It never really stood out. But in this, bass player really carves his own niche, which is interesting well because he's also the vocalist. Yeah, it was, uh, Steve Disgust on oh, vocals nice. and bass. So yeah, it's a good one. Um but yeah, there, there's some really nice moments where it alternates the sort of supreme speed that death metal can come with, with sort of like this morbid, slow pace. Uh, Cold Threat's a really nice example of that, mm. where it starts off like kind of slow and building, and then breaks into this sort of fast death metal. And again, the transition between those is really smooth, and it feels as if that's the way it's meant to be, that that riff built to that faster riff, and that works so nicely. I think as well, in this like, the sort of the list we're doing, me and Robert possibly being quite generous to bands who just have a brilliant debut but something like this i think there's so much to be said for having a debut this well constructed mm. out the gate if you if you can start and your band is doing something new and interesting and you haven't had to like 
build on a template for ages and ages to get to that. There's something incredible for that. And like a band like Vanina, I just want to see where this goes. I want to see if they can keep marrying this kind of heaviness with prog rock. But rather than the OPEF like kind of sliding between the two, it's all just in one. Just, yeah, just, just sort of shove them together in a weird way. And yeah, uh, the song Trance of Death is the amazing epitome of that. Where you have all these crazy influences thrown together and just sort of gradually evolve into each other. There's not the sort of slide into your progressive bit and then back to your death metal with that sort of harsh contrast as a really cool point. It just sort of gradually grows back to it mm. in a really organic way. And this album feels really fluid and really organic, as well as being the sort of quite brutal and aggressive death metal at the same time, which is really great. And it also has that kind of like fantasy sci-fi kind of feel to the lyrics yeah. with, like aforementioned, ne- uh, merging Nebula Drakes and, uh, Drapes and then uh, Trance of Death Part 3, There Are Other Worlds. Mm. There's it just sort of touches in the lyrics seem to be very aimed that way and I don't know why it fits this sound well, there's, really there's nicely. there's bits of it where you've got these sort of like laughing and atmospheric space-like sounds which mm. come into it as well as these like you, a lot of reverb on some of the guitars and these effects being used to give the solos and uh, the melodies just this air of menace and otherworldliness which really carries home that theme uh, which makes the album yeah it just has this little something else that you can pick out from it which is really nice. Yeah, and, and something where I'm, I'm not sure which of the two of them is doing this, but they like hats off to them. Like the guitar solos on this are oh. perfectly constructed. They are just yeah. yeah, melodic beauty. Nothing too technical, but my god, do they just sound right? Yeah, you take the finest sort of solos from your sort of prog rock bands, your jazz bands, and your death metal bands, and you mix them all together, and you end up with this sort of thing. Like it's it's so well constructed from so many different influences, and yeah, it really helps carry these songs. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, another really beautiful cover that just fits the theme, like, yeah, yeah. kind of just very, like, very abstract image with a really decent logo, and it's just, it's just a band just getting this right, like, with their first release. I guess to an extent they've been going for nine years, so it's yeah. clear they've put a lot of time into putting this together, but... Yeah, they're, they're still, uh, they had an EP in 2011, but there's still something to be said for getting your stuff, like spot on and then releasing this sort of tour de force of exactly what you're about and Vinham mm. have done this expertly with this album yeah yeah and it, it's, it's just really good to see this year is just the year of death metal trying something new and yeah. going out because this is so in a different camp to something like uh, Prion or Primitive <laughs> Man it's, like they don't even feel like the same genre no like, no but yeah it's it's exactly that thing of What's happening now is not new genres are being formed, but people are, or maybe they are, but people are taking genres that exist, taking elements from them, and mixing them all together into something that, whilst called the same thing as something else, is completely different to listen to, and such an utterly different experience, and that's awesome to have that diversity within genres by taking elements from others and putting them together into something completely new. Also, I just want to mention this because it's kind of funny, but the vocalist and bass player used to be in a band called Execration, who are not the Execration <laughs> we covered earlier. Yeah, Execration. Don't pick that as a band, mate. <laughs> yeah, I kind of overused at this stage. <laughs> but yeah, it, it just very, very similar thoughts to that, though, where this is just, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's 50 minutes long. It has a brilliant tone throughout. I've got no complaints about how any of the instruments sound on it. Honestly, mm. bar the intro not really working, 
I can't think of any issue with this album. It's just a yeah. really, really solid product. I think we are getting to that point in the list where it's sort of, I can't think of flaws anymore. Um, no. <laughs> which, which is great. And again, for a debut, to the only flaw to be the really nice intro track doesn't quite fit with the rest of the album. Uh, that's, I, that's a hell of a compliment. These guys have done a fantastic job. Because we, it is like probably my favourite instrumental release this year, if not for quite some time. Mm. Um, this doesn't really give a great idea of their sound, but it's just such a good piece. We're going to play a bit of Trance of Death Part 2, the Messalonia Journey. And Trance of Death is the piece which sold me on this. So like, oh, if you really? like this, you will, you will love this album. Finally into the top five, and this uh, band we're covering next, really interesting one, literally, I think, discovered these guys like ten days ago. Yeah. They, they yeah. have come in at absolute last minute. Um, I think as well, this album's strictly an EP. This yes. is the, um, I think, Toronto-based band, uh, Fantifaxaf, or... Fantifaxaf, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Fantifaxaf's, um, so they've got an EP before, then the album Sacred White Noise, which is also incredible, but quite different. Now this is the EP Void Masquerading as Matter, also on Dark Descent Records, so I should give you a hint mm. to where this is going sound-wise. <laughs> yeah. 
The band are kind of a mixture between kind of black metal and death metal with a lot of like synthy atmospheric noise stuff mm. going on as mm. well. Um, because they're incredibly pretentious. Uh, all three band members are completely anonymous. There's like two photos of them all wearing hoods and stuff. Yeah. But, like, yeah, they they even have they even play live, but managed to keep their anonymity yeah, through that as yeah. well, which is really interesting. Um, I guess the first thing to say, at least for me, about Fantafax Earth is this album's genuinely kind of creepy and scary. Yeah, I really like that. It's awesome to see black metal and sort of death metal going in that direction again, where it can genuinely sort of unnerve you mm-hmm. when you're used to all these things and when guttural vocals are just sort of par for the course. Something that comes along and makes you go, Ugh, that's, that's kind of unnerving. It's really great. So, like, the songs, there's this three proper songs on this album. They're all roughly nine minutes long. And they're all these, like, meandering, almost structureless pieces where mm. there's, like, bits and pieces of riff, but, like, nothing really repeats. And bits where a motif repeats, they'll throw in atmospheric noise that completely misses a guitar part. Like, the, and you can never quite work out whether it's a guitar playing it, whether it's a synth. Yeah, like, yeah. Th- there's a drummer sort of just about holding it down, but he never seems to stick to a logical beat. Uh, the vocalist is screaming completely incoherently over the top of it. I can't resolve any lyrics, yeah, but yeah. it's like great, just black metal attack. Yeah, it's just. It's an intense album. Yeah, one of the things which I really like about it is you have these really weird uh, ascending and descending riffs which just sort of keep going up and up and up these weird scales and just keep going to the point where you think there's n- it can't possibly get any higher than this and it just keeps repeating of this weird riff and there's something so weird and creepy about how it keeps going up. <laughs> yeah. or, or, like, or it then sort of switches to going down these scales rather than sort of resolving itself and going back to something a little more familiar just keeps going and there's something so odd and unsettling about hearing that the the middle of cursed numbers track three really is like the best example of this whereas there's Mm. like what might be a sweeped guitar part or it might be a synth i can't quite work out what it is it's just this this repeating pattern that kind of fades in and out volume wise but is going the wrong way doesn't sound like the right set of notes but then you just get this very heavy bass sound underneath it Mm. And then the, then it kicks off with like the proper black metal drumming, but over this this continuous like what would almost sound like a tech death lead pattern, but everything else is yeah. so horrible and so wrong that it still sits in the black metal camp. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and you'll have these moments of sort of like these intense tremolo riffs um, mm. with these little bits of synth, which almost sound like horror movie soundtracks over the top. Um, and it, you know, it's sort of like a cheesy horror movie soundtrack, but the way it's worked with these riffs genuinely kind of creeps you out when you listen to it. The amazing build and sort of release, it's not released an awful amount, but tension over this whole thing, mostly building tension. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite something. There's very few releases I remember listening to recently which really make me feel like this one does. Yeah, yeah. And it's in a very different manner, say, the, the chaos of, say, like, Prion, because it's, it's a lot slower, it's a lot more restrained, but it's still oppressive and crushing in its own way. Yeah, yeah, it's not and it's not the sort of doom and hate of something like primitive man. It's this it's creepy. Uh there's something really unsettling about listening to it in a yeah, sort of horror movie style way. Yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, the the best of like the unsettling Japanese horror movies, mm, that that kind mm. of 
real fear inducing this isn't helped by that the album cover is a bizarre <laughs> cover of like it looks like a black and white photo taken in the forest where someone seems to have just thrown the camera yeah so like, it's like this out of focus and when you first look at it you think oh come on guys you're really trying too hard and you listen to it for a bit and you look at the album cover of you know you've got it up on a tv or on youtube or the album and you think and okay, maybe I get maybe I get where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. This weird sort of spinning sensation you get from some of the ascending or descending riffs, and you just think, oh, it's yeah. weird. <laughs> it's, I feel slightly ill. Yeah. Uh, like the only slight issue with this album is the final track, "Void Masquerading as Matter." Brilliant title, but it's mainly just like an atmospheric synth piece, mm. and it's seven and a half minutes long, which is like it's a good outro to the album, but it's just a bit much. And yeah, yeah, and. It, I really liked how everything was married together before that. This kind of just doing one element of their sound. Because the sound throughout the rest of the album is this perfect mix of everything. Mm. It's all, all the elements are kind of there in every riff. Like, you'll get points where stuff will drop out and you get more of an atmospheric kind of synth bit. But they'll be very brief and the guitars will build back through that very quickly. Yeah, there's, there's a really nice moment at the end of um, Oceans of Screaming Spheres, which is a great song title. Uh, which like has this horrible cacophony of guitar notes everywhere and you can barely resolve what's happening and then it just sort of stops, suddenly cuts off and then you get the slow sort of mournful beginning of um, Self-Devouring Womb, another amazing song title. Yeah, we've uh, done well on that sort front. Of, <laughs> as that builds up again back in and then eventually builds itself back up to the same sort of chaos that you were experiencing at the end of the last one. Uh, yeah, and uses that abrupt change really nicely to change the mood and again just set you on edge even more than, yeah, the, yeah. than the songs themselves did. Yeah, it's really nice. And and I feel like as pretentious as it is, like the the anonymity of the bad and all that really fits this. There's something there's something so good about the mystery of it all. Like the cover equally fits the mystery. It, it's it is a really really complete piece and. And such an evolution from their previous album. Sacred White Noise sounds like a completely different band. Mm. Really, really good mm. album, but far more coherent, far more like of a theme, whereas this is this is more ethereal, more terrifying, and I can't wait. Like again, another band, I can't yeah. wait to see where this goes. It's that black metal mystique thing that you get from the early bands. You hear all the stories about Mayhem and Burzum and all that sort of stuff. Um which at the end of the day is an awful lot of in kind of juvenile shit really yeah yeah but, but there's this mystique to it which you know death metal doesn't really have and the best of the black metal bands who are genuinely kind of upsetting and terrifying which i think fantafax definitely falls into they have that sort of thing it just gives them a little bit of a legend which is kind of cool and sort of you know oh yeah kid kind of way oh yeah definitely they, they mean there is a silliness to this but it is still like beautiful and heavy and if you yeah, can let yeah. yourself be taken by the atmosphere it really is something quite mesmerising yeah talking of which we're putting in with this section drop you in halfway through track three cursed numbers and this will give you a good picture of those, <laughs> those just bizarre how, riff how structures <laughs> yeah how unsettling it can actually be
So, yet another debut, um, and this is one I think I've just put in there purely because it's so fun. Like, um, this is uh, the band Drogsoul from Iceland. It's their first album, they formed this year, so this is another, like, more so than anything we've covered before. This is, like, straight out of the gate. Like, mm. the, the band don't really seem to have any connections to um, any other kind of relatively famous bands. Like, something's going on in Iceland this year because. On top of them, there's also Zora, who will do like a kind of bizarre, like brutal psychedelic sludge, which mm. are an amazingly mm. interesting band. So, Drog Soul um, uh, did their album Vardaland, uh, is somewhere between black and death metal, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And then little bits of the sort of experimentation and melody which people maybe came to associate with bands sort of like enslaved, mm. but then taken with this sort of raw black metal and then death metal influence as well. Yeah, yeah. So the album starts with the, uh, like, self-titled intro, which is, like, this really good build with, like, these kind of chanting vocals over just a very atmospheric passage. And this is the how you build into a song. Mm. There's a mm. two-minute intro that goes perfectly into the first crack of this nine-minute epic, which is, like, kind of black metal influence and sways into almost like folk metal elements. Yeah, there's definitely some sort of folk metal stuff. There's these repeating sort of melodic motifs that you get coming through in some of the songs, which, yeah, just feel really quite different to your standard metal influences, which I think sort of conjures up the idea of the idea of folk metal and that sort of thing and adding in these other influences from sort of native countries and the music of these countries and that sort of thing, which mm. really adds to it. You know, it adds this extra texture and these elements and those melodic sections were the bits or the melodic sections sort of over the top of this black metal were the bits that really drew me into this as well. Because in essence, it's quite a brutal sound if you remove mm. the occasional bits of lead guitar that kind of bring you back. Like the guitars are very distorted, very heavy sounding the drums are really roughly recorded, and mm. the drummer has this like great sort of looseness to his playing. It's very um, kind of like free form. It's never like perfectly in time, but, yeah, yeah. but the fills sound incredible. These brilliant like rolls around the kit. Yeah, there's some really nice fills in this actually, which really emphasise a lot of the stuff that's happening in the riff. Sort of like a lot of sort of rolls from the snare and then around the toms, but. Yeah, really helps build a lot of these very aggressive riffs and help transition them to mm. some of the other parts as well, particularly when you have these slightly more spacey, psychedelic guitar riffs coming in and some of these leads and stuff like that, which is really great. And AJ, the vocalist, who like, really has to be applauded in this, he's got, I'd say, most reminiscent of Gertzel from Enslaved. Like, he's got that real, like, like almost rasping bellow. Like yeah, that. sort of like Gertl, but even deeper. Yeah, much, much yeah. deeper. But it's got that kind of thing where it's like, it sounds like he's hurting himself. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's such a rasp to it. They're like yeah. strange, like, but they're really, really solid vocalists. A lot of variety mm. to his performance. Little bits of clean vocals coming in as well, which, like, while not outstanding, really fit the structure. There's a really nice bit at the end of the final song, um, Hod Lisa, uh, where you've got this chanting choir, which to me sounded like a really mournful, kind of sad Ramstein. Mm. I really liked that. It added this huge weight to the end of this track. Yeah. yeah which is really good. So the final track's quite an interesting one as well, because the rest of the album's very much, I, I saw it as this mixture of black death and folk metal. Mm. But then the final track, I think, is well and truly just like a straight black metal song. It's quite a departure from the material of the rest of the album, showing these guys clearly can do quite a lot with their sound. Yeah, you go from these thundering black metal riffs to these softer, more melodic sections, but it all 
encapsulates the same sort of ideas and like emotions that are being carried through the whole thing. Uh, yeah, and it just feels very different to most of the other bands who do a sort of like black metal and folky style. And as a debut, it's amazingly strong. Oh yeah, it is so good for a, for a new band. So quite a shame actually, though. There there were five piece recording this. The obvious like two guitars, vocals, drums, and bass, mm. and the bass player and guitarist have quit since. Oh, it's a real shame. But so hopefully this is a band that will get some more press because I thought this is incredible. Mm. Um, also, cool Iceland connection. Uh, Recorded, mixed, and mastered by Arnie from Astrofear Liston, who we covered oh, a load cool. of episodes yeah, back. Yeah, uh, yeah. and there, there's there's a crossover in sound. It doesn't have the arch level of progressiveness that Astrofear Liston mm, has, but mm. still really decent and still still doing enough new. This still this still felt new and fresh, and yeah. also it's got because of some of the elements and some of the kind of naturalness of the recording. It has a youthful energy to it. It has that kind yeah, of... Yeah, This feels like a band discovering something new. It has a power and a force that you, you could only get for a band just hitting their prime. Yeah, yeah, sort of getting your first really tight songs together, getting these really good riffs for the first time, and then bringing that to the fore. And, yeah, just that level of excitement around something completely new for them. Yeah, and also, like, other interesting elements, like, again, like, lean to Austria Liston, is, like, there's uh, acoustic guitars blended in with some of the heavier Yeah, that's really nice. They sit quite nicely in the mix. They don't don't overpower it and don't get lost. They It's just another tone, just something else. And for a 35-minute long album, this goes all over the place. Mm, it says, mm. certainly move between genres as it goes. It always feels much longer to me because there's so much stuff that's explored and so many, like, these breakneck fast bits which get really intense and you get really sucked in and then it's over and you think that's only 35 minutes that's yeah but yeah this is just the whole album feels like something i just want to commit to live like the song we're going to play from it who's this track free i'm not even going to attempt this name there (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to get it so wrong but like it has this kind of just energy that really sucks you in and you just know would be perfect for the live setting Mm. because it's just risks you want to headbang to like builds that make people want to start a mosh but this is exactly how i want black and death metal to sound yeah and it's not too po-faced or anything like the album cover is a really beautiful piece like yeah, it's a wonderful album cover but the album cover in particular the sort of intro kind of reminded me although the music doesn't really of bathory's nordland which is one of my favorite albums of all yeah, time yeah. that's sort of you know the picture of this idealized landscape this is in far more muted colors and then this sort of folky influenced extreme metal uh, yeah, that's an interesting parallel, despite music not being that similar. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just if you're a fan of any of those kind of genres, like this is definitely worth a go. I think for fans of all three, there is something mm. there. It's not particularly technical, it's not particularly complex or polished, but I don't think it needs to be. I don't think it no. loses no. anything through that. Like, it is just an incredibly rounded first offering. I can't believe this is conceived this year. That's yeah. kind of yeah, incredible. It's crazy. But yeah, so we'll leave you with track three.
this brings us to album number three. Uh, and in a bit of a continuation, we now have uh, legendary um, black metal musicians Enslaved with their most recent album, E. Now, um, Enslaved were formed in 1991, so they've been going for more than 25 years. Um, I think you remember telling this story about it was Grutal who stage-dived onto Ivar. Yeah, yeah. knocked him out, uh, <laughs> and they, they met when they were like, like teenagers and side black metal. So 1991, they're not too far behind the first wave of Norwegian black metal, mm, mm. and they've kind of maintained in that position for a very long time. But Enslaved were always an oddball, because they were always quite proggy like they've yeah. always had a prog influence and we've seen that come in more and more as the albums go on this album particularly is really lent back into that prog influence more so than the last couple i think um, i think one of my favorite descriptions of enslaved which is weirdly true is if you take black metal and then mix it with pink floyd you end up with something resembling enslaved yeah yeah uh, like this is so much in the vein of Olver, a similar Norwegian band. This is their 14th album, so yeah. they have been around for a hell of a long time. Entitled simply E, which um, if you're interested in why they went for such a straightforward title, there's quite a long video explaining it. Yeah, I think talking one. to Ivor, and it's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, so it's obviously first letter of enslaved but also it refers to sort of connections between humans it's a rune um avas i think i'm pronouncing that wrong but it's odin's horse which connects us to sacred horse one of the songs on the album yeah, yeah. Um, and the interesting thing about this album is enslaved have done an awful lot of uh, lyric writing and songs about sort of individuality and that sort of thing and on this one they've really brought it back to connections between humans and other things so humans and other people the ideas of hindsight um which is one of the songs and horses which is a thing that has been greatly connected to humans throughout our lives and sacred horse so there's there's an awful lot of thought behind pretty much all enslaved releases and this is no different down to the lyrics and the vocals as well and all of the music it all fits together and has this connectedness uh which i don't think we've quite seen this level of connectedness between all the songs on recent enslaved releases and it fits into all of the lyric writing as well all of these songs fit together really nicely uh, which also isn't to say that they won't work if you listen to them by themselves there's some fantastic sort of individual songs on here that you can pick out and listen to oh yeah totally so with enslaved like i'm a huge fan of this band have been mm -hmm. since uh, around when rune came out however long ago that was i think about 2008 yeah. um the, the history of this is quite interesting so isa which i think is like their seventh or eight album the lineup solidified they had the same five guys in the band, with like the sort of keyboard player doing clean vocals and Gersel doing the bass and uh, more harsh vocals. And this is maintained from Issa, Rune, Vertebrae, all the way through to like stuff. The big difference between this album is the keyboard player quit. And they've got a new guy in, um, Hakon Vinji, who's like a really young kid. He looks about <laughs> like 19 or something. Yeah, yeah. Replacing keyboards and clean vocals. And as the albums have gone on, the clean vocals have become more and more of a bigger part of the mm, sound. Mm. So it was really a, an interesting thing to see if Enslaved could maintain having losing such a key element. And Hakon has stepped up to this incredibly... Doing an like, incredible job. He has a bit of a different voice to previously, but it works so well. Uh, there's an awful lot of clean vocals on this album. There's even some group vocals uh, with the producer as well uh, doing adding vocals too. Mm. And live, uh, Gertle and Ivar uh, also add vocals to some of the bits, particularly in Storm Sun, the first track. Uh, but he leads all of this and he has a fantastic, clear voice um, really great vocal melodies over the top of enslaved sort of like fluid black metal sound as always with these weird proggier riffs. Um, 
keyboards again really big part of this album just like the more recent ones that keyboards play a huge part not like where we see them performing some of the old tracks and the keyboard player just has to stand there for a long time not playing anything <laughs> really involved in this and has become a true part of enslaved sound you couldn't imagine them without the keyboards now yeah and and if you're not familiar with enslaved the way they use keyboards is quite different to a lot of black metal bands who incorporate a keyboard player they're very subtle like very proggy keyboards mm. like a lot of like hammond organ type sounds or you know just very 70s sounding keyboards but mixed with these complex like Enslaved had a very complex way of writing riffs where yeah. they, they'll do lots of patterns in their riffs where they, the riff will take so many bars to repeat. They, they, they'll have a pattern that goes on and on and on. Nothing's massively technical in it. Nothing's particularly complex. It's just the way it's written is completely out there and unique. Like, And sometimes when you're listening to Enslaved, you forget a little bit how individual that particular style is. There's these riffs that will go on for so long and then they'll repeat and you'll think, oh, that's a pretty standard Enslaved riff. That's really mm. good. And then when you think about how it compares to other bands, you think there's no other band that writes like that, that does these weird, long melodies which still feel completely complete and never sort of lose you but sometimes it will take you a while to think okay where's this going oh right that's the bit that repeats yeah yeah, yeah. And, and they're a band I, I've had a huge amount of respect for because I can't believe their consistency mm. from Issa onwards which is the point I've really got into them every album has been an absolute like monumental like not maybe not improvement but just like shift in direction something will be yeah. slightly different yeah. say Room was quite heavy to the point album and then you got Vertebrae, which was still kind of short and to the point, but way more relaxed. And then Axiom following it, the songs got massively longer and yeah, more complex. Yeah. And then Ritter, the songs got even more long oh, yeah, and heavy. Ritter was all over the place and doing all these different things. I, I, I must admit, I was very disappointed by In Times a couple of years ago because I do think it's their weakest album since probably like Monumentation. Like, mm. it just something was off like the songwriting just wasn't quite up to this level which is why i'm so happy with e because i really think yeah. they've hit a new level of quality like and it's it's still uh in times it's still a great album there's no questioning that. oh yeah yeah it just doesn't quite hold up to the standard of some of enslaved's other albums and e brings that back uh one of the things that i think is underappreciated about enslaved is um kato Beckervold, uh the drummer uh, oh, yeah. He is amazingly subtle, but is always exactly on point. He has these really quite interesting fills. If you listen mm. to Storm Song, uh, we saw them recently with Opeth, and he was right near the front, which was an amazing opportunity to get a proper look of what he's doing when he's drumming. Yeah, yeah. It was fascinating to watch. He has, he has a whole bunch of different cymbals, but particularly his fills and the way he will subtly alter grooves to change how the riff is coming across to you is, yeah, just amazing to watch. And... I think more drummers could benefit from just like the subtlety that he displays and how he drums. He's never showing off. He's always doing something which helps further the song, and I think that's amazing. Oh yeah, completely. Like he is a really underrated drummer. Like he mm. he has that thing uh, Martin Lopez of Opeth has of yeah. just being very very good at writing drum fills. Yeah, and yeah. It, with this like Enslaved and Opeth for a band, a beautiful parallel. Such a perfect tour lineup that was yeah. seeing yeah, recently. Definitely. Um, where it's the marrying of prog, like old school prog rock, like 60s, 70s influence, which they really seem to know well with either black metal or death metal in Opeth's case, and merging these sounds so seamlessly. Mm. Like this album of Enslaved, I'd definitely say is on the lighter side of theirs. It's far more. Yeah, yeah. Got a lot in common with Vertebrae, actually. I'd, yeah, I'd I think say. I see that. 
Uh, with much nicer production, though, on this as well, and uh, Growth of the Screams, oh, they're great. Because uh, on some of the earlier albums, the recording of the screams is just not quite as good. With these more recent albums, the screams have been top-notch, like, recorded incredibly well. As you are saying as well, he has the weird rasp to his voice, which, like, there's a few other vocalists who've got it, but it's a really interesting sound. Gersel has a very unique voice in black metal. I'm a big yeah. fan of it. I know people who, who are quite against it, and I guess it's, you know... It's mm. one of those things you take it or leave it, really. Yeah. And then, uh, but that married with um, the clean vocals. Clean vocals very much have that kind of subtle British prog kind of sound mm. to them. Mm. Like that's the, the real vibe I get from yeah, them. Yeah, we got these sort of dream-like vocals, particularly the intro to the album, which starts off with a small, uh, very sort of short segment, which is a dramatization of a Norse uh, myth which they've put in, which then builds up into the start of. Storm Sun, uh, which is this very sort of gentle guitar riff, which slowly builds up to a sort of one of those weird enslaved type riffs with weird chords, which sort of progresses you forwards. Um, and it has this really dreamlike feel to it. And Ivar was saying, I saw exactly what they were going for with this, is building you into the dream of Storm Sun, and then you go through the rest of the record as well. Yeah, and it, yeah. yeah um, extremely well done. Very, very atmospheric for the intro. Because Storm Sun's like this massive 11-minute monolith of a song, like mm. it goes for a lot of different passages, but then followed up by The River's Mouth, which is a five-minute song, which I'd say is intro by the most typical example of an enslaved riff. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the River's Mouth is the most enslaved song. Like, it just... Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, just hearing it, you're just like, that is exactly what enslaved sound like. It's mm. whatever that song does is their sound. And I can never quite put my finger on what it is enslaved to differently to everyone yeah. else, but they certainly have their own niche despite never quite sounding like themselves they're very different album yeah, to album yeah. but they're always there's something very enslaved. enslaved about all of them which no one else has really managed to copy and yeah this this album is incredibly solid much like In Times it's another six track album where they've been quite restrained like it's a very short run time for them because like Rittier my main criticism of it would be it's way too long it's almost mm -hmm. 80 minutes mm -hmm. and the quality isn't quite up there whereas the six tracks of this album are all great there's brilliance in all of them you like say axis of the world really yeah. goes off into absolute madness yeah it starts, starts off with this crazy sort of like weird off the wall classic rock guitar solo over this kind of weird like kind of clean janky black metal riff it's, yeah. yeah it's really <laughs> like, weird guitarist Ice Dale has this um, really interesting thing where he's basically given one or two solos an album yeah. so he has to do something really interesting with yeah. him and this one he went for a very strange solo yeah that's really interesting it's so weird to listen to the beginning of that song but I really like it because like versus say like ground where it's just like the most from some, vertebrae <laughs> some of the most beautiful solos ever yeah yeah, the, the guy the guy can really play amazingly, mm. but does always seem to be like the fifth member of Enslaved. He's certainly mm. the one who gets the least of the kind of limelight. Yeah, I, I mean, it gets interesting as well. So, like, the standard release is six tracks, but um, there's also two bonus tracks, which on the edition I've got, uh, which is Juppet and um, What Else Is There, which is a cover of um, Rockshop, which is a Norwegian electronica duo. Uh, okay. I've, I've given a listen to the original song. It's it's amazing how well Enslaved have done this, of turning this electronica song into this sort of melodic, black metal-y thing. Well, isn't it mostly clean vocals, this one? It's pretty much all clean vocals. There are some harsh ones in there. But again, listening to the original thing, it's amazing how they've taken this, you know, electronic pop song, essentially, and done this with it. Um, well, I got like a real porcupine tree vibe from their cover. <laughs> yeah, it really feels like that. It's really, really interesting. It's worth checking out the other song. But um, yeah, the two songs they have on here, Jeppet and uh, what else is there, really great. Um, 
I sort of feel they should be on the standard album. Um, I really liked them. The, the the issue I have with that is I feel Hindsight, which is another slightly out there track for Enslaved, um, is a brilliant closer. It really does bring the album to a perfect end point. I think that's true. And also, again, guest saxophone. Yeah, yeah, and no, <laughs> yeah. So this is something I don't think they've played with before. I, I, yeah. I can't think of an example of it. But this song like moves between quite heavy parts. The girl has a lot of vocals, really but quite then, doomy parts as well, like slow and heavy, like really showcasing Gertel's vocals. But then, like this melodic saxophone comes in, and this is saxophone not in the vein of like if you think of say like the newer Eshon albums mm-hmm. where you got Jurgen from Shining just going crazy and yeah. doing something really weird. This is very puts me in mind of like. That 80s sort of smooth jazz sound. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, a soft jazz saxophone over the top of it. It's a very kind of mellow use of it, but it, it fits perfectly. It's something I mm. really hope they do again. Yeah. And it is, there's also other stuff like on Feathers of Oilof, uh, or, or, how, uh, however you say it. Yeah. yeah. Track five is another more proggy, all over the place one. And there's a guest flute on that. Like, yeah, yeah. Just some extra interesting textures. And this album is sort of full of subtlety in that way. Because it's not as immediate as in times. It's not so. In times, it's very based around a lot of really in your face choruses and so on, like really memorable. This album, I say, is far less memorable, but I think. It, there's far more to be gained from it yeah. on that front. There's an awful lot of substance to listen to on repeat listens. And uh, production as well is sort of expansive and open and dreamlike. There's so much to hear and so many sort of nuances going on. And just, yeah, it feels like this enormous musical landscape which enslaved have filled with all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Mm. Uh, I really like how they've done it. Everything sounds great to me. I don't kind of really have any issues there. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um... Yeah, like in Soldier Man, we definitely got to like. I I don't know why me and Rob haven't covered them yet because especially like like, I think me probably slightly more so, but like totally obsessive fans. And yeah, I I think we talked about this before. So like particularly Opeth and Enslaved, some of the most important metal bands in the last twenty five years or so, without a shadow of a doubt. And pretty much no one has been able to copy what they do. Completely, and the fact they're still pushing the envelope on album fourteen is is completely incredible. Remarkable. Yeah, so, I mean, again, we'll come back to Enslave because it's really hard to sum up a 14 album career in a couple of minutes. But to give you an impression of kind of the weirdness that's coming in with this album, we'll give you a little bit of hindsight now.
which brings us to uh, number two on our list. And this is a band we reviewed relatively recently. Uh, this is Artificial Brain with Infrared Horizon. Uh, now, they were formed in 2011, and this is their second album. Uh, we've talked about Labyrinthine Constellation relatively recently, uh, but this uh, is another amazing effort, and I think steps things up from where they came from last time. I think this is a little tighter. The songwriting's got better. There's a little bit more variation going on. The melodies, uh, these weird, dissonant, sort of space-like melodies that they come up with have been expanded and added more. And they've just really tightened down on this unique formula that they've got, which makes such an interesting, compelling example of sort of dissonant technical death metal in the sort of vein of the Gorguts root of technical death metal. Yeah, um, yeah, so. the kind of anti-self-indulgent, like, yeah. more about just very, very complex structures. But more so in Gorguts, the thing they do is keeping it to very precise little songs. Mm. Like, we'll mm. keep us very brief, because essentially, like, a couple of months ago, we reviewed the whole discography <laughs> in, like, <laughs> the exhaustive detail. But yeah, this, this is just the complete package. Like, their first, their debut was... Amazing. A really, really yeah. strong debut. And they just followed it up by slightly tweaking the formula, not mm. changing anything all that much. So, so it's the second uh, second New York-based band and second Colin Marston production job yes. in our top 20. <laughs> and there's something about Colin Marston's sound that just works. Like mm. it, It's got a natural feel to it, which blends so well with the complexity of the riffing and the kind of dissonance of it that just makes it all sound intense, oppressive, like all the things we're saying about all the other kind of completely out there death metal bands we're covering. For some reason, this is just the one that keeps appealing to me. Yeah, there's just a way that they get it so sort of perfectly written. Uh, there's so many songs on this. Um, Strange from Orbit's one of the ones I always think about. They have these amazing melodies which go over the top of then sort of building into like really dissonant melodies over the top of really aggressive sort of technical death metal riffs. Um, and like managed to convey not only sort of weird sci-fi ideas, but also mournful sadness in some of the mm. parts as well. Some of these riffs are kind of, or melodies are kind of sad to listen to. And I really like that of exploring different emotions with the toolkit of a technical death metal band with this really intense atmosphere. It's really, oh, really great. And you say the mournful elements are completely backed up by Adam Burke's incredible album artwork, mm. which did get mm. much like Bell, which is just look the picture up for this, for Infrared Horizons cover. It's just absolutely brilliant. One of the best metal covers I've ever seen. And it's all mixed with this great kind of um, sci-fi feel, uh, like tracks like um, Vacant Explorer or Graveyard of Lightless Planets. Like mm. these are just the perfect sound for the for the, for the titles for the lyrical yeah, themes yeah. like will who i believe writes the lyrics um yeah, just a really really great lyricist and yeah I, again on this album varying it up a bit more having a few more of these high screams mix, mixing in with these you know demi lich style really low vocals mm -hmm. just adds this extra level of appreciation for exactly what you need at which moment in which riff and Again, really nice sort of uh, rhythmic patterns of vocals which really add to the controlled chaos that's underneath. This is by no means as chaotic as things like Prion, but there are really aggressive moments which the vocals can shift to match in a way on this album, which I think expands upon what they've done previously. Completely. And the other thing that these guys really nail, they have an amazing grasp of melody of just like adding in subtle little melodies that just mm. hook you. They make, they make the songs... 
are actually very memorable on this album, which yeah. I'd say more so than the previous one because of these added lead guitar melodies. Like, And you'll even have it with the bass as well. You know, sometimes uh, bass, which is really quite audible on this, will sort of peel off on its own rhythms that it's doing and its own little melodies that it adds and just makes it feel thicker and more interesting. Every time you listen to it, there are more little bits to pick out, which overall adds to the entire atmosphere of the song. But when you really focus in, you can hear all these interesting things going on. I mean, I think we're going to keep this really brief because we've more or less, we're in danger of repeating ourselves from last episode and we're going to have a lot to cover with number one. Um, Just the other thing I'd like to mention, uh, the down pick, or the the picking speed on Anchored to an Inlaid Arc is unbelievable. Uh, It sounds as if, you know, if you were doing that in real life, there'd be smoke rising from the guitar strings. So again, as you said, a lot of others, amazing musicianship. Um, Kiefer Brami, who's the drummer, has also played drums with Prion live. So... (laughs) How the fuck do you play that? That's, yeah, amazing musicians doing something really interesting. And as we've discussed before, just one of the bands in the current movement of, you know, more atmospheric, dissonant, technical death metal, which is just worth watching. This is only their second album, and I can't wait to see how they continue to evolve from here. Yeah, I really want to see this live, because it's something that just, yeah. you want to watch what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as I say, in danger of repeating myself, so I think we'll just dive straight into the track. We're going to play a bit from... Estranged from orbit.
Okay, so this finally brings us to the number one slot. Like, I know this has been a really long one, so congratulations to anyone who's actually made it this far with us. So before we get there, we're going to do a bit of, like, chatting about the other stuff we, like, really enjoyed this year. So, um, I think first we're going to talk about a few albums that just didn't quite make the cut. Um, One that I found really interesting, but is just... It just hits a level of silly. So this is tech death in the vein of, you know normal tech death, what you'd actually expect. This is about Archspire's Relentless Mutation, which mm. is worth mentioning just for the bloody speed of the thing. The vocals are faster than, like, <laughs> than yeah, the worst yeah. of Vader's, like, rap vocal <laughs> moments. It's a really interesting album, but it's just fucking hilarious. Yeah. That is really interesting to listen to, though, to push technical death metal to that degree. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. Cool. And, and talking of, like, death metal, there's been an amazing thing this year, and we've not really covered it, not many got into this list, but a load of the American Old Guard have come back with really strong albums. Dying Thetis, uh, Wrong One to Fuck With, yeah. just narrowly missed out for me. Immolation, Cannibal Corpse, both had albums that were really solid, but just didn't evolve enough for my yeah. for my money. Exhumed's new album. Yeah, Exhumed's new album is a really interesting one. I liked that. With Ross Sewage on vocals, like that really yeah. added something to like, the guttural end of it. Mm. And then, then Morbid Angel's new album. The Morbid Angel and Origin actually have the same problem their new album. Where mm. the drums are so high in the mix, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's just a bit of a disappointment. Um, yeah. Any other really good ones you've come across this year? Um, some cool ones, which I mean, I guess didn't really qualify for metal. I quite liked Anathema's new album, uh, yep, The Optimist. Yeah. Really enjoyed that sort of like post rock. They used to be a sort of doom metal project, but now they're very much in this post rock sort of melodic zone. Really enjoyed that. Um, a band I hadn't heard of before, Rituals of Oak, sort of narrowly missed out on my uh, top twenty. They are basically a jazz slash doom metal band in a really cool way. They have some songs which are straight jazz and some which are straight doom. But then the really interesting ones where they completely interleave them. Thought that was really cool. I really liked that. We'll definitely be going back to look at that. Um, Squalus are really cool. They are a band, their first album, The Great Fish, entirely based around Jaws. Um, And yeah, there's some really great moments. Two basses, no guitars in it. And I really like that. Some really atmospheric keyboards. Uh, Aaron John Gregory from Giant Squid, uh, other members from Giant Squid and Squalus as well. He's also going to be in Corrado, which hopefully will be releasing their new album at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that was a really cool thing. If you like sharks and you like uh, sort of like sludge, go and listen to that. It's really good fun. But yeah, basically, like what we're getting at here, and there's just so much other stuff we could cover, like there's just been some absolutely incredible releases this year. Mm. I think we'll post that a bit of a list later. Like, it's saying something that both Project Hate and Monolith Death Cold didn't make it anywhere near yeah. Iron Rob's top <laughs> 20. Um, yeah, like, there's just been so much going on. Um, so, yeah, kind of some of the stuff, like, wanted to just touch on, like, we've had some real decent live shows. I think, like, my mm. life highlight this year is definitely Damnation. I don't know if you've had a gig that's been particularly... Stand out. I mean, uh, the, the one that springs to my mind recently was Opeth and Enslaved. Mm. Uh, bands I've seen before, but uh, it was amazing to see them together. And yeah. <laughs> such, such, such entertaining bands to watch and great to listen to as well. It seemed like really lovely guys, which is always nice. Yeah, uh, we had a few kind of sad moments this year as well. Like this year, we finally saw the uh, breakup of Black Sabbath. Yeah, Black Sabbath's final ever gig happened this year. So, you know, the first metal band has now gone. Yeah, yeah. And some other sad losses. Uh, Malcolm Young of ACDC. Yeah. Um, Martin Eric Ayne. Martin Eric Ayne, yeah. And very recently, Warrell Dane as well from Nevermore. So, yeah, some very unique talents. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a shame, but like I guess this will just happen as musicians are getting older. Yeah, uh, we do have some really good stuff to look forward to as well. Like I mentioned, uh, Karada's new album should be coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Voices should have their album out soon. We've already heard a track of it, yeah. Yeah, uh, Oceans of Slumber are building up and it's getting really exciting. I heard so, that they've got a song out now. Got, is, released, it, is it out now? Yeah, oh, I heard it earlier today. I'm, I'm going to have to go really good. to that. Yeah, so uh, really exciting stuff coming up. Orphan Land. Uh, yes, yeah, with their new track, which is really cool. Yeah, Damon as well, who are a weird band that I'm very Yes, into. yeah, Damon are on the way. Uh, well, we'll get to them when we cover uh, yeah, the yeah. next band. But. So yeah, there's like a lot of interesting stuff, and some of the more ridiculous moments this year I just wanted to touch on, of worst name thing of the year has to go to Attain <laughs> with their album Trident Wolf Eclipse, <laughs> which I don't know what's going on there. I haven't listened to it yet, but... You know it's not really a joke as well. <laughs> and talking of not really a joke, I just showed Rob this recently. Oh, it's... Yeah. x Tears video for the Roman is, is getting the So Bad It's Good award. Like it's Genuinely <laughs> offensively bad in a way which is really fun to watch. Um, again taking it deadly seriously <laughs> people who watch the TV series Rome a few too many times and just I don't know just the cinematography was <laughs> kind of abysmal the panning shots with this terrible CG in the background and these battle scenes uh, you know I could, I could fire up Total War and it would look better than that video oh did. yeah completely completely yeah. but yeah so basically the thing we're getting at though with all of this is 2017 has been incredible oh yeah there's so much good stuff we've like not even touched on like in preparation for this I've listened to over 80 albums this year (laughs) and the overwhelming thing from them there's only about five I've noted off as being not good like there's so many that just couldn't kill couldn't uh, like add in for any for just reasons of space but yeah I'd like to say uh, one of the weird awards I'm going to give is best song title to uh, Malakarpatan who Mm. narrowly missed out on our top 20 for their song um, In the Provincial Pond A Water Goblin Has Been Raging For Centuries <laughs> great song title really cool band uh, check them out they've got lots of Slovakian folk music influence it's really really interesting but yeah I think now's probably time to get into number one because we're dragging this on way too long um, you must if, have seen this one coming <laughs> yeah if you know me and Rob there is no way you wouldn't have guessed who this yeah, is so yeah. be interesting how many people uh, have actually worked this one out so I want to give this the intro a bit of a story of like my favourite comeback in metal probably ever, just by virtue of how it was managed. Mm. So the band we're covering is Akakaka. Um, they uh, sp- sort of not split, but just went into hibernation around 2011 when their vocalists quit. And basically we heard nothing from them for that whole period. Then towards the end of 2016, suddenly their Facebook page became really active again, sharing like loads of old memories and stuff like cool photos I'd never seen before. And then just all of a sudden, they posted a little gif of a monkey walking out of a cage with the title, The Monkey is Out of the Cage. <laughs> and just no explanation, absolutely nothing. And that evening on the Radio 1 Rock Show, which if you're not from the UK, like our main radio station has a metal show playing at like 1am. But at the 1am slot... They had a fully formed new track. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they played Inner Sanctum off of uh, Renaissance and Extremists, which is the album we were recover- will be covering, just out of nowhere. And yeah, it was perfectly managed. Yeah. So nice. So if you don't know Akikoko, we've covered them before in the past. They marry, in a very different way to enslave, like black and death metal with kind of very British prog rock and then like electronica elements as well. Yeah, yeah. And it just make this very complex, very unique sound. 
This uh, the new album Renaissance and Extremist came out on Peaceful Records middle of this year. It's their sixth album, and very much follows on where their fourth album left off. Words that go unspoken. So throughout this sound, they started off being really chaotic and terrifying and kind of mellowed out and got more complex with the songwriting more of a grasp of melody more of a grasp of like long song structures mm, yeah. um and the production kept getting like sort of cleaner and cleaner and the musicianship kept improving there was a big issue with antichrist their fifth album where they were kind of writing in two parties they'd lost a lot of band members and the album just never gelled for the band. They personally, I, I really enjoy it, but yeah, yeah. it's it's one of their weaker albums though. And the band have always hated it, and eventually just left to vocalist and guitarist Jason Mendoka just quitting the band and being like, I, I can't do this anymore. So, so in the in the meantime, what's happened? Jason, David, uh, drummer and guitarist slash vocalist, have got together. They've always been the core of this band, mm. but they managed to bring back in Paul Scanlon who was uh, original lead guitarist for the band. He was with them for the first three albums and actually wrote a lot of the highlights of Words Gone Spoken. Mm, I think he, mm. he did most of Shelter from the Sand, the like 10-minute epic yeah, from that album. Yeah. And this album feels like these three getting back together again because it is just like just this slight move on from that. Like mm. it, The prog's just turned up a notch. The musicianship has just turned up a notch. To complete the lineup, they've pulled in Nathaniel Underwood uh, on bass, who's guitarist, vocalist, and main songwriter for Damn, now Damn Um Very interesting death metal band. Really want to cover their album Difference Engine at some point mm-hmm. in time. And Sam Loynes of um, Voices, Shrines, yeah. a few other bands. Like We've covered him in the past yeah, as well. Yeah, he uh, plays the keyboards and does some sort of vocals on this as well. Uh, and the thing that's really interesting about this is... Um, so, one of, some of the interviews we've read with uh, Jason Mendoka, I think... It's really great because Agacocca used to be this thing, you know, about tits and Satan. And it was all that sort of stuff, um, which, like, in that stuff works so well. We've got some fantastic stuff, really good, really fun. Like, who doesn't love Satanism in metal? But with this album, it's changed quite a lot. So Jason went through uh, sort of dealing with depression and mental health issues. And with this album has come back with this sort of brutal upfront honesty to it they're no longer in all these suits they're just wearing jeans and t-shirts yes. despite saying they'd never be a jeans and t-shirts band so yeah like if you don't know Akakok, their image was always these amazing suited yeah. gentlemen and now they've, they've stripped back they've pulled back from that they still have a cool look but it's far more understated yeah like um, david and jason's hair is pretty much gone um, Jason's almost entirely uh, but they've now come back with like this positivity back to metal mm. and you know songs about their own experiences if you listen to Disappear it has lyrics like uh, I simply cease to exist I simply disappear about you know mental health issues and it's got nasty bits as well it's got uh, lyrics like uh, place my hands gently over your ears to save you the sound of my screams versus don't give up the fight from darkness comes light you know, it's this brutally honest appraisal of real life experiences. And I think particularly because Jason's spoken about his difficulties of mental health, I think this is something that, you know, everyone has to do. And in the metal scene, it's a hugely respectful thing for him to come out and do this. Oh, know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of like, machoism sometimes in metal and to talk about your difficulties honestly. And then to build this amazing art and these songs out of it is something else entirely. So like this new direction they've taken bringing both the darkness and the sort of more positive bits back in is incredible and it really stands out on this album yeah com- completely like the the kind of the grasp of doing these more prog rock sections mi- mixed with the heaviness 
like really is like another evolution in their kind of sound. Like it is like they're all growing up slightly as musicians mm. with this. Like they're just the complexity of the song structures is probably the highest level it's ever been. Yeah. The musicianship. Like the really interesting thing with Paul Scanlon's return is um so he was always a guitarist, he had a really unique sound. Like mm. you could tell his solos are very bizarre and off kilter. Now I've never heard this before, but he's come back and completely lost that unique sound. He doesn't sound anything like that guitarist anymore. But is this now melodically guitar genius? Yeah, yeah. The, the solos on this album are really great. I mean, some fantastic sort of riffing as well, but so many really great melodic solos, which will sometimes take ages to build themselves up into full sort of really fast stuff, but will spend loads of time on these sort of couple of notes. Um, really nice, really emphasising the riffs around them. And as well, Jason's vocals have never been better. Uh, they are incredible on this. Amazing performance all the way from his uh, you know, death metal uh, growls and black metal shrieks. Experimenting with all the sort of clean styles from a sort of yell, which is almost hardcore, through to these really high-pitched vocals. And these are some of the finest, finest singing he's ever done, I think, mm. on things like uh, One Chapter Closes, Another Opens. Almost entirely just these really high-pitched vocals. And they're amazingly beautiful. It's an amazing job he's done with this. It seems to have taken... Like, his vocal approach has always taken, especially the cleans, a real influence like, goth rock and that. But, like, mm. the better end of the singing in that. And, and But marrying that with the heavier stuff, like the, the track Rob mentioned, One Chapter Closing, is it, almost entirely, like, black metal. But the slight twist on it, it's just it's clean vocals the whole way yeah, through. Yeah, there's a couple of screams in the background, but... It's just these really high-pitched theme vocals. It sounds almost like a really dark leprous song. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah it really like it's it's so strange, you know. But yeah, there's definitely a, a kind of weird overlap in sounds there. Yeah, again, instrumentation, bass sound, best agriculture I've ever had. Uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, there's so many bits where you can really hear very clearly what the bass is doing. Amazing grooves that Nathaniel locks into, and just gives you this other level to appreciate it on, as well as helping hold all the songs together and add these extra grooves to them. Because I think Akagog have often had an interesting thing. So Peter Theobald's the first four albums, who was a very interesting self-taught bass player, he was then replaced on Antichrist by um, uh, Peter... Uh, what's his name? Peter Benjamin from Voices. Mm. Voices mm. frontman playing bass, who added some very interesting bass, but it was kind of lost in the mix. But he did some fascinating things with it. Lots of, like playing with making a lot of noise where it wasn't quite discernible what was going on in some of the heavier passages. Whereas Nathaniel's come back, uh, to come in as the new bass player now and has this very clear, very precise yeah. playing and it really has a heft to it. It's like mm. quite punishing mm. playing and like he definitely adds something to the sound. And, and I mean, he, much like Peter Benjamin before, is the main songwriter for another band. And, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can seriously see his abilities yeah. there. Um, and again, the, feel incomplete if we don't mention David Gray's drumming. Uh, it's fast, it's precise, weird fills, and one of the things that I really appreciate about it, it has this excellent ability to, when a riff is going on, when there's a certain song structure, to shift the entire meaning and feel of the riff by just altering the groove that he plays under it, mm. by bringing in the double bass or switching to a blast beat or coming back to something a bit more groovy, by doing a weird sort of fill with these really high-pitched toms which goes all the way down does this amazing job of emphasising different riffs with different playing styles. And sometimes you almost forget quite how good he is because it's just, oh, this is Agnokoko, of course it has amazing drums. And you pay attention for it and you realise, no, this is really interesting. Um, I, th I think as well with David Gray, like, he get, like, 
we're kind of used to him being great because he's continued. He's yeah, the member yeah. of the band who's been in so many other things. Like, mm. with Sam, the keyboard player, is also in Antichrist's Imperium, yeah, yeah. which is, like, all the leftover super death metal-y bits mm. of when Akakoka broke up following Antichrist. That's with ex-Akakoka Zaris Matt Wilcox mm. and, and the Berserker's bass player, whose name I've forgotten, Sam something. Yeah. Um and like that's an incredible, but it's so different to what Akakoka is now because that's so extreme and so brutal. Mm. And Akakoka have left behind a lot of the, a lot of the brutality. It's still there in places. It's still heavy, but I would say, and it's hard to tell, but I'd say it's album slightly more relies on clean vocals than any of the previous ones. Oh yeah, and it's I think probably so. more than half the album is sung that rather than screamed. Yeah, it can't be far off. And and this sort of like further descent into strange progginess is typified best by the final song uh, particularly <laughs> Cold September it's one of the weirdest things Agacocco have ever recorded it is it is pretty bizarre like it starts off almost like one of well yeah it starts off going through all these melodic moments that I found really especially like around the two to three minute mark mm. really evocative of Cathedral's Garden of Unearthly yeah, Delights yeah it really feels like a bit of, yeah you got this really sort of finger picked guitar starting it off and it's ah this is really Odd. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's like quite beautiful, but just a bit off kilter, a, yeah. a bit weird and sinister in a almost like cartoony way. And it yeah. builds into a heavier part. And then a saxophone solo. <laughs> yeah, another saxophone. Another, another guest saxophone. Yeah, you got this old school death metal bit in it as well. And finally, it goes off with this weird, slightly disturbing um, classic rock almost thing with this solo over the end. It's oh. But before that, David Gray's percussion turns into kind of like that orchestral. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. Like kind of, yeah, massive tom kind of sound. It, and then, yeah, the whole song sort of fades out with Paul yeah, the, the, doing the almost massive... almost like timpani style, yeah, like yeah. huge beating drums. And then it comes in with this like much cleaner melody, this amazing solo over the end. And it's such a strong finish. And one of the things with this album in general, it's one of the few albums I'm aware of which I genuinely can't think of a flaw. The only downside to it is I think there's an ever so slight over-reliance on Paul's guitaring. Like, okay. there's possibly yeah. one or two too many solos throughout. Mm. That's the only kind of... And they're all so well-written, I couldn't tell you where to cut them. I'd just yeah. say <laughs> maybe there's a bit too much of that. Mm. But, like, also, the fan reactions to this has been incredible. Um, I remember reading an interview, Jason, saying that they started playing Disappear, the first track of the album, as part of their live set before this album came out. Yeah. And the fan reaction to it was to start a huge pit when this song came in. Ah, oh, that's so cool. Because people wanted this band back so badly. Like, well, I remember uh, reading interviews talking about when they when they came back and played Bloodstock. Mm. Oh, you were there. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. With all these chants of welcome back. And it just seems like there's such a huge positive reaction and everyone's just been really happy as a result of it. I have never it's seen fantastic. like a comeback that's left it this long that has disappointed so little. Like yeah. they they've done something new with the sound, but that's not offended most people. I'm sure there's a lot of people who aren't happy with it, but people are just so grateful to have them back. And I think it was a total lack of build. The way they were yeah. just like, yeah, we're, we're back, and this is what it's yeah. like now. Yeah, uh, it disappears. Great one as well because it opens up the album with this, you know, very fast death metally thrashy riff. Uh, and then sort of through the song sort of drops out and then is replaced by this sort of like slightly jazzy weirder proggy riff and, out of nowhere and beautiful clean vocals I remember yeah. I remember like coming back from Damnation Festival we like Mike who we had on the podcast in the car and he's never heard this band before yeah. and was just like oh it's fine I get it it's death metal and then the clean vocals came in and he's like 
what is this? <laughs> I, I, I was continually surprised by the entire album, especially yeah. when we get to particularly cold September. It's like, oh, I think I've got my head around this. Oh no, saxophone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with this really soft guitar. Yeah, it's um, oh, it's it's a real masterwork. This one, um, mm. all of the songs have something unique and really interesting about them. Amazing performances from every cast member. Stand out for Jason's vocals because they just get emphasis across like nothing he's ever done before. Um, and, and like they. Even weird cheeky nods in it, like Unbound by Sin has the lyric, it's been too long, too long away, which is so <laughs> clear. Like, it must be in some way a reference to the fact they've not been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. And seeing them live, they seem to be so happy to be back doing mm, this again. Mm. Yeah, we've both caught them, I think, a couple of times since they've been back. And yeah, it's been so good to see them. They seem to be having such a great time. I think you were talking about a thing where... Um, Jason ran over to David during it and just said, Unleash the beast! <laughs> yeah, this is in an interview. There's a bit where David gets to choose how fast the song goes. Yeah. Sorry, David gets to choose how fast the song go- comes back in. And he, like, Jason drumped up on the drum rides, which are like, David, unleash the beast! <laughs> or something worse than that effect. And it's just yeah. like, uh, it just it's so good to see a band who have been around this long as such kind of veterans still having this kind of passion and enthusiasm. And coming back and showing us fantastic material as well, like more than enough to equal or exceed anything else they've done before. Well, and, yeah, yeah, like really building on because I really love the prog elements of Words Go Unspoken, like the title track and uh, uh, Shelves from the Sands had mm. these amazing complex structures and they seem to be leaning more and more into this. The saying the big problem yeah. with Antichrist was Matt Wilcock was trying to take them in quite a death metal direction, whereas Jason was writing more and more to the prog element, like trying to be more like Rush. Yeah, and this yeah. album is definitely slightly living up to their dream of being more Rush than, uh, yeah, than yeah. you know, Mortician. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just such an amazing piece altogether. Uh, yeah. Whenever I listen to it, I listen to the whole thing all the way through and just, yeah, it's an amazing ride. Yeah, yeah. I Like... Other kind of slight differences, they've like I think we've touched on this before, but the cover is completely outside the usual. It's yeah, like yeah. like a lot of very strange images of like sepia filters of um like suited characters wearing hoods, mm. whereas previously all goats and tits and yeah, <laughs> like, yeah we should certainly have their place. But yeah, just the the growth with this is incredible. Like mm. this really like I know I'm totally biased to this band, but I was so happy for this. And and it had such the potential to disappoint. Yeah, yeah. But I think as soon as we heard Inner Sanctum, which really sounds like it should have been on words, like yeah, it totally yeah. is that that continuation. Just we knew in safe hands, we knew we were yeah, getting something yeah. great. This, and, uh, yeah, and this album fully lives up to that. You hear Disappear Live and you think, okay, well, it's got that element as well. And then it somehow manages to surprise you with a particularly cold September still. So, yeah. amazing work. And yeah. I think In the Sanctum actually is still one of the highlights from this album. Like, Oh, yeah. It's an album that actually improves into its final half. Like, it, like the last mm, couple of songs mm. really are some of the standout ones. And like the earlier stuff really has a death metal intensity and then it sort of pulls back a bit more and more yeah. and black metal meets kind of post-punk and stuff kind of just, and some phenomenally catchy melodies as well like songs like Insentience has this just beautiful melody in it which builds it up into this black metal thing and drops it back to sort of karma great variation between harsh and clean vocals uh, fully using every element that they have at their disposal to the like maximum effect it's yeah Really great. It is incredible. I mean, we'll come back and we'll cover Akikoka again because we're both yeah. obsessive fans <laughs> and made even worse by this album. Yep. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll in a minute we'll leave you with um, the track of Final Glance back before departing. But yeah, mainly just going to be restating what I said last episode. 
please let us know what you like yeah. what your top tens are what your you know albums you think will totally overlook this year mm. albums you think that rightly got a huge amount of praise like I mean, quite a reasonable criticism of this one is we've hardly touched any mainstream bands beyond yeah, Enslaved yeah. and Akakoka. There's not many bands on this list that had much of a following. And yeah, and, and there was a bunch of stuff which looks like it's been really good. Looks like the new Paradise Lost was really cool. I've only had a chance to give it a couple of listens. Mm. Wasn't enough to bring it up here, but yeah, it seems like it's a really good album. So great to see so many of those bands still coming back, still producing some great stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, hit us up on Facebook at Frills Breakfast Metal. I'm not at Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook, yep. at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, or uh, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. And as always, please rate and review us on iTunes. That would be really helpful. Um, yeah, so here we go. We'll leave you with uh, a final glance back before departing. <laughs>